Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be in verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Been walking through 2 Corinthians now for a few months. And today we get to the place where we see God calls his people, his holy people, to be holy like him. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray together. Father, it is our joy, Lord, to sit under your word and to, Lord, from here, from, to, from you, a holy, holy, holy God. Lord, even as we have sang this morning, you are a God who is holy, holy other. You are perfect. You are righteous. And Lord, in our sin, your glory, we cannot see. We cannot behold your glory, your beauty, your majesty. But because of Jesus, Lord, that which was unholy, you have made holy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, you have not only saved us from our sin, but you have saved us to be your holy people. Your people set apart in this world, distinct in this world, different in this world, Lord, so that we might live for your glory, that we might be zealous for your holiness. So, Lord, teach us this morning what it means to be holy. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we want to be holy. Lord, Lord, teach us that the holiest people are the happiest people. Because, Lord, we get to know your joy. Lord, you do this for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's the greatest threat of the church today? If you had to answer that question, what is the greatest threat coming against the church? What is the one thing that if Christ's fellowship wasn't careful, it could destroy us? I'm sure there's a lot of things that might come to your mind, things that might come to your mind and your heart, things you might hear other people say. Some people say that maybe it's, The threat of media and technology. That it's the social media that's corrupting us. Maybe some say that it's 
political strife. It's maybe we're going to lose our religious liberty. Maybe we'll lose the next election, and that will be everything. That'll be the worst thing that could happen. Some people would argue that it's the sexual revolution that's deceiving and corrupting our sons and our daughters. I mean, if we sat here long enough, we could think of so many things that are out there. So so many things that are out there that are coming against the church, whether it's the economy or work or war or school or sports or Target or Disney or whatever everybody else wants to say the problem is. And while there are many threats outside of the church, I believe the greatest threat is from within. The greatest threat to the church today, the greatest threat in the church, it's it's God's holy people not being holy. That's the greatest danger for our hearts today, that we as God's holy people would be careless about our sin and couldn't care less about God's holiness. Listen, we can't control the world around us. We can seek all we can to change the world, but sadly, the world is what's changing us today. But the world is changing us. And and Paul tells the church in Rome, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He says, don't let this world press you into its mold so that you start looking like the world but be transformed to look like Jesus. Saying, church, we should be different. We should look different. We should think different. We should talk different. We should act differently than the world. And yet, sadly, too often the church looks more like the world than we look like Jesus. This should be a priority for us. I would say that this should be one of the greatest pursuits of your life, that you would be holy like God. You would pursue holiness. Listen, it was a priority for Jesus in the gospel. It was the greatest pursuit of Jesus when he came to earth, that he might make for himself a holy people, a righteous people people, a people who are forgiven and complete in him. Jesus left the throne room of heaven and he came to earth to die on a cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and to rise again on the third day. But what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus didn't come just to save you from your sins. He came to save you to holiness, to to be like him. I mean, this was a massive deal for the Apostle Paul in this letter. Even in this passage, we see it. Paul is here opening up his heart to the Corinthian believers. He's, He's pouring out his life, opening up his heart, and he wants them to do the same, but it's clear that they're compromised. They're compromised. It says the church is full of uniting themselves to unbelievers. 
It's full of false teachers that, that don't point people to Jesus, but look just like the world. It's, it says that they're filled with idols. They're mixed with idolatry. See, it's hard to open up your heart to Jesus when you're opening up your heart to everything but Jesus. It's hard to open up your heart to Jesus when you're opening up your heart to everything but Jesus. It's hard to be full of love for others when your heart is full of the world. The world chokes out every love except for the love of self. Every single love that you could have for God and others except for the love for yourself. So this morning, I want us to think from this passage, what does it look like to be God's holy people? What does it look like if we were to be the people that God has saved us to be? That Christ fellowship would look different from the world around us. That's what I'm praying, and I pray that you would join me in this. Lord, teach me, teach us what it means to be your holy people. And fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we want to be holy as you are holy. The first thing I think we see in our passage is the, the call to holiness is to be set apart. We sang it a minute ago. You, we sang God is holy, holy, holy. It's the song of the seraphim in Isaiah 6 as they're flying around God's holy presence as the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And it says that over and over and over again, they're singing holy, holy, holy. This means that God is not just holy. He's not simply holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. He's perfectly holy. He is holy other than us, completely different than us, completely distinct and worthy. The Bible's saying that there is none like him. And so for the call of Christians, our call on our life is that we might be holy too. Not, not that we're going to be perfect. Oh, but that we would be different. That we would be distinct. That we would be set apart from the world around us. That we might shine like lights. That we might be salty, Jesus says. But sadly, the salt in the church is losing its saltiness. And the light seems to be being snuffed out. But, but Paul says here in verse 12, look with me. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The call is literally do not mismate with unbelievers. Do not yoke yourself or make yourself one or unite yourself to, to those who are not united to Jesus. The imagery is of this farm equipment, this yoke that puts two animals in a plow and pulls a plow through a field. I don't really know what I'm talking about, Kaylin, so if you need to stop me, you can just tell me. what. But, but just like you would put that yoke in the middle of the field and you wouldn't put a, a, an ox with a pit bull, 
an ox or a donkey with a kitty cat because it would not make any sense. No, in the same way, a believer should not yoke their lives with an unbeliever. Why? Well, to be unequally yoked means that you're going to walk in a different direction. You're going to walk with different purposes. You're going to have a, a different heart with a different desire that they don't have. And so Paul's saying we as God's holy people should only unite ourselves to those who are united to Jesus. We should unite ourselves to those who are following Jesus, who will pull us towards Jesus so that we might cherish Jesus together. Now, typically when you hear this verse preached or talked about, we, we typically hear this verse quoted when it comes to dating relationships or business partners. You hear someone who is a Christian shouldn't marry or shouldn't date someone who is not a Christian. Or a Christian businessman shouldn't go into business with someone who doesn't care to honor Jesus. And why is that? Because you're walking in two different directions. There's one person in the relationship that wants to honor Jesus, that wants to please Jesus with everything in them. And there's another person that could not care less about Jesus. Studies say today that that people are more likely to marry someone of a different faith than a different political party. Isn't that crazy? There's another study I read this week that said that parents are twice as happy if their kids marry within their same political party than share the same faith as their family. That is sad. Does that not expose how the church is filled with the world. Does that not reveal what we really worship, what we really care about? And while this is 100% true, we as individuals should not yoke ourselves to those who don't love Jesus. The main point is that the church is to be holy as God's people. That we together are to be set apart from the world. That we together are to look different and to love things different and act different and talk different than the world around us and not blend in and look just like the world. And the reason is, is because holiness and worldliness simply do not mix and they never will. Paul shows us clearly with this list of Five rhetorical questions in verse 14 through 16. The first question is this. For, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What partnership could righteousness have with lawlessness? Like, how can you love what God loves and love what God hates at the same time? That doesn't make sense. They don't go together. You can't follow Jesus in one direction and at the same time follow sin. You can't walk in opposite directions. The second question he says is, what fellowship would, does light have with darkness? Light, by nature, can't live with darkness. Light always expels the darkness. They don't share the same room. They don't share the same space. Light 
expels the darkness. And then he says this third question, what accord has Christ with Belial? This is another word for the devil or demons. And so he's literally saying, can Jesus become a teammate of Satan? That's crazy even to say, isn't it? It's insane to think that Jesus is going to be a co-lord with the devil. But why? Because Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He has no rivals. He has no equals. And certainly he's not going to team up with Satan. And so as we read these questions, the answer to every single question is an emphatic never. Like certainly that would never be. Clearly this is crazy. And so when Paul says the next question, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? That should sound just as crazy to you as light partnering with darkness. As Jesus teaming up with Satan. That should sound just as insane to you that a Christian would marry an unbeliever than Jesus would be a teammate of Satan. Just as crazy. Now, does this mean we can't be friends with unbelievers? Or we can't work in the same office? I'm not telling all y'all to quit your jobs this week. Or that we can't live in the same neighborhood with unbelievers. We're going to buy a plot of land out in Richardsville. We're starting a commune this week. This doesn't mean that. Literally, literally, we would have to leave the world if we had to not get near unbelievers. No, it means we can't be one with them. We can't yoke ourselves with them thinking that we will continue to follow Jesus when we love what the world loves and unite to the world. This is what was happening in this church. This is what's happening in Corinth. They're uniting to unbelievers. They're, they're bringing worldliness into the church. Things haven't changed much today, has it? I mean, this is exactly what's happening in the church today, that the church is marrying the world, and it shows. David Wells says this, that worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. That'll, that'll tell you whether you're falling in love with the world or falling in love with Jesus. Worldliness is whenever sin looks normal to you, looks accepting to you, looks like something you want, and righteousness looks strange, like something you don't want anything to do with. Listen, it shouldn't sound strange in the church to hear someone call you to be holy, for God is holy. To, to call you to holiness. It, it shouldn't sound archaic and like leave it to beaver or something from 1950s to hear someone say, be holy. It should be common when we gather together as God's people to hear people say, repent of your sin and forsake your sin and be like Jesus. That should be common for us as a church. 
Listen, a church that never calls you to be holy is a church that's fine with you being worldly. I'll say that again. If you're visiting around churches, let me help you mark some off your list. If a church never calls you to be holy, it's a church that's fine with you being worldly. God calls us to forsake our sin, to run hard after Jesus, to be holy as Jesus is holy. Notice the final rhetorical question he says there. What agreement, in verse 16, has the temple of God with idols? Again, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like, God is not going to sublease space in his temple to make room for idols. God's not going to sublease space in his temple to display idols for people to look at and to see and worship. Why? Because God is a jealous God. And God is a jealous God who is jealous for his glory. And listen, if he quit being jealous for his glory, he would quit being God. Because if he was zealous and jealous for something other than his glory, he would become an idolater. For not desiring for his name to be exalted above all other names. God is a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory with idols or share his worship with another. But then Paul says this to really punch us in the gut in verse 16 because he says this, we are the temple of the living God. That, That means God's holy presence, his Holy Spirit dwells within us. In the same way God does not want idols displayed in his temple in the Old Testament, how could we ever give up space in our hearts for another to be worshipped? To worship other idols and to adorn our sin and love our sin. No, we should be as jealous for God's glory as he is jealous for his glory. We should be as zealous for holiness as he is zealous for us to be holy, for us to be set apart. That's the call of the church. Yes, you were saved from your sin. Praise Jesus. But you were saved to be holy like he's holy. The second thing we see is the way of holiness is to be who you are. You want to know how to be holy. He says to be who you are. You know, when we hear the call to be holy, I think our minds and our hearts automatically think of it backwards than the Bible teaches us to be holy. We typically think when we hear, hey, you got to be holy. You got to turn from your sin. You got to, what we hear in our hearts and our minds is, hey, you got to start trying harder. You really got to raise the effort around here. We we must do something to be holy. And so we start thinking, this all starts with us. And depending on how holy I can be is how happy God's going to be with me. Depending on how holy we can be is how happy God will be with us. But, But that's a miserable way to live. 
And that's not how God has called us to live. That's not the hope that we have in the gospel. No, instead, the the whole New Testament, if you wanted to boil down the Christian ethic in the whole New Testament, here it is. Be who you are. That's exactly what God's calling every Christian to do. Be who you are. The focus is not on what we have to do, but on being who God has saved us to be. That's what he says here. We are God's holy people. We are the temple of the living God. That's who you are, so be who you are. This is nothing less than a work of God's grace in our lives to make us holy. Paul, in fact, quotes Leviticus 26 to drive it deep into our hearts. In verse 16, he says this. God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen, the most important thing about you is not what you do for God. The most important thing about you is what God has done for you. What makes you who you are is God's work of grace in your life through Jesus. Not you trying harder. What marks us as God's people more than anything is God being among us. God being in us. God working in us and through us. I mean, think about the Old Testament. This is always what marks God's people. It's it's always what separates God's people from the nations around them. It's God's holy presence being with his holy people. I mean, do you remember when in Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, you remember they're about to enter into the promised land, and and God says, I'm going to send you into the promised land, and I'm going to stay back. And Moses says, if you yourself don't go with us into the promised land, we don't want to go. If you don't go with us, we're not going. Why does he feel that way? Because what makes us God's people is God being with us. God being in us. God working in us and through us that we might be holy like he is holy. So God's calling you to do. Every single Christian in here today. The way that you're to be holy is to be who God has made you to be. God has made you his holy people. He has given you his Holy Spirit. And so he says, so now be who you are. That's exactly what he says in verse 17. Look, it says, therefore, now now that you're God's holy people, now that he's dwelling among you and you're You're his people, and he's your God. It says this, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. He says that's what you do. Now that you're God's holy people, go out, be separate, touch no unclean thing. We often get this backwards, don't we? Maybe I'll just speak for myself. I often get get this backwards. 
I often live like if, if I could just be holy, then God will be more happy with me. That's backwards. Does your heart ever say that? If I could just try a little bit harder, if I could just do a little bit more, if I could just work up some more righteousness, do some good works, present something that I've done to God, then surely God will love me more. God will finally love me. Listen, this is backwards, and this is not the gospel. The gospel is that God so loves you that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to make you holy. So now be holy. That's the good news of the gospel, that while you were still a sinner, while you were unholy, while you did not deserve his love, while no amount of good works could be presented to him that he would love you more or be happy with you or, or welcome you, while you were still a sinner, God so loved you that he sent Jesus to live the perfect life you could never live and die in your place, taking all your sins on himself that you deserve to be punished for. And then on the third day, he rose again, not just to save you from your sins, but to save you to holiness, to make you holy so that now you can be his holy people. Martin Luther said it this way, the love of God does not find but creates what is pleasing to it. I'll say that again. The love of God does not find but creates what is pleasing to it. This means that God didn't go on a, a search mission around the world looking really hard for someone that was holy so that he could call them his people. No, he makes us a holy people. He takes sinners and redeems them from their sin so that he can call them his own and make them his holy people who are set apart. To get this backwards is complete bondage. You, you will live miserably. It will be crippling to think, if I just do more, God will be happy with me. If I just try a little bit harder, maybe I can earn God's love. That is crippling. But to know that Christ saved me from my sin to make me holy is free. How should the church wake up every single morning? Brother or sister, tomorrow when you wake up, first thing Monday morning, I know you might already feel miserable because it's Monday and you got that early class or you have work and you already don't want to get up. But it's the first disposition of your heart. I got to try real hard today if God's ever going to love me or if people are ever going to love me. Or do you wake up saying, we are God's holy people. We have been set apart by the grace of God. We have been saved from all our sins that we might be holy as he is holy. I love what Jared Wilson says in 1 Peter 1.16. He says this about the command, You shall be holy for I am holy. 
It's 1 Peter 1.16. You shall be holy for I am holy. He says this. This is not just a command for God's people. It's a promise for God's people. I mean, think about hearing that as a promise. You should be holy for I am holy. Yes, we should be holy because God's is holy. That is a command. But we will also be holy because God is holy and he will make his people holy. Brothers and sisters, God has saved you. He has saved you from his from your sin, and he has saved you to be holy. And he cares about you being holy so much that he put his Holy Spirit in you to make you holy, to bear fruit of holiness. And so now, be who you are. Be who you are by going out and being separate and touching no unclean thing. Or let me translate it for you. So be who you are by changing the channel and getting off that website and not watching those videos, and and not putting yourself in that compromising position with your girlfriend, and, and not going to those places anymore, and never entertaining those thoughts, and never giving your heart to the world, and don't talk like that, or act like that, or look like that. Why? Because that's not who you are. That's not who Jesus saved you to be. You are God's holy people. Let's be holy, for he is holy. But the good news is we find that the last point is that the promise of holiness is the joy of the Father. The promise of holiness is the joy of the Father. See, I think in the church that holiness gets a bad rap these days. When you hear the word, if you say, hey, tomorrow there's preaching a sermon about holiness, you're like, whoa. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be burdensome. It feels burdensome to hear that word. You shall be holy sounds a lot like you have to floss daily. (laughs) Doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like you have to take out the trash. You have to fold the laundry. You have to write that paper before the morning, before Thanksgiving. You have to wash the shower. I'll just go ahead and tell you that is the worst. There's nothing worse than washing the shower. Holiness sounds like something we have to do instead of something we want to pursue. And I think the reason is, is because all too often we focus on what we're losing when we pursue holiness. This passage, though, is not about what you lose when you pursue holiness. It's about all that you gain when you pursue holiness. Listen to these precious promises from the Lord. I'll I'll begin in verse 16 again. It says this, and, and listen, who's speaking in this passage? It is God. You're exactly right. It is God who makes these promises. Listen, it says, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Listen to this. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, 
says the Lord Almighty. Yes, we might lose momentary and fleeting pleasures when we forsake our sin. But look at everything that God promises to those who pursue holiness. He says we get to receive the welcome and the joy of a holy God. Now, because of our sin, we would never receive the welcome of a holy God. But because of Jesus, we get to be welcomed in to God. We get the joy of knowing him and calling him our father. Islam doesn't give you that. Buddhism doesn't give you that. All the false religions out there don't give you the joy of your creator, not just being a creator that's far and distant and detached from you, but a father that you get to know. A good, good father that wants to welcome you in. And then finally he says that we get the joy of being called his. His sons, his daughters. He calls us his own. Just think about that for a minute. That that when God sees you in Christ, he does not see your sin anymore. And he's not disappointed with you anymore. And he's not frustrated when you draw near. He's not ashamed of you when you come close. No, he joyfully calls you his own. When we draw draw close to our Father, He's not waiting to scold us. He is waiting to welcome us because of Jesus. It's like the story of the prodigal son. Whatever sin you are holding on to this morning, the Father is waiting to run to you in repentance. If you would just turn from your sin right now, he is waiting to run to you. I mean, we sang this glorious truth a minute ago in the song. It said, who else could rescue me from my failing? Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? Only my holy God. I mean, what could this world offer you that could compare to knowing God? as your Father, and Jesus as your Savior. I mean, we need to change our mindset, to change our pursuits to match this reality. Because pursuing holiness is not forsaking of joy. It's the pathway of lasting joy in Jesus. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning and what sin you're not letting go of, but Pursuing holiness is not the forsaking of joy. It's the pathway of lasting joy in Jesus. Pursuing holiness is not losing what the world offers us. It's gaining all that our Father has waiting for us in Jesus. I mean, for those who put our faith and trust in Jesus, when our Father here says, I will welcome you to myself, or or literally he's like, I... I will give you myself. We don't say, is that it? That's nice, but do you have anything other than yourself to give me? No, those in Christ say, like the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? 
There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Maybe that's when you know if the gospel's really taken root in your heart. When nothing rivals the Father's joy. When nothing, nothing rivals the Father's love. Nothing rivals all that he has graciously and abundantly given you in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul finishes our passage in chapter 7, verse 1, with this joyful invitation. He says, since we have these promises, these, what are these promises? These precious promises that I will dwell with you. I will be your God. I, I will welcome you. You can call me father. You are my sons and my daughters. Since we have these precious promises, he says, beloved, meaning those who have been loved by God. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Now, before you came in that mor this morning, that might have sounded like a heavy burden to do those things. But I pray this morning that that sounds like nothing but a joyful invitation. A joyful invitation to sons and daughters from the lips of their heavenly Father. Saying, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. For, for to forsake that command would be devastating for your life. But to pursue holiness leads to everlasting joy everlasting joy. You know, this passage made me think of Numbers 25. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Story in the Old Testament of God's people who, literally the passage says in Numbers 25, were yoking themselves to false gods. What they were doing is they were starting to marry and and take daughters of Moab to himself. They were going after women of the foreign nations and not separating themselves. And when they weren't separating themselves, and, and instead they, they not only were marrying themselves or yoking themselves to these women, but by, naturally they were yoking themselves to Baal, yoking themselves to the false gods of Moab. And it reaches its climax in Numbers 25 when all God's people, because God sends a plague on the people, all God's people are gathered around the tent of meeting together and they're all on their faces and they're all weeping because of what sin has done to the people of God. And it reaches its climax because it says that a man from Israel went and took a Midianite woman, a foreign woman who worships foreign gods, it said he took her to her tent to lie with her there in the tent. And yet, Aaron's grandson, a man by the name Phineas, the Bible says he rose and he left the congregation and he took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel 
was stopped. And I want you to hear what God says about Phineas. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel within my jealousy. I read this story and I sit there and I say, man, will, will there ever be another man like Phineas? Will there ever be another woman like Phineas? Someone who is so jealous for God's glory as God is jealous for his glory. So zealous for holiness as Phineas was jealous for holiness. Would there be anybody that he would say that he was jealous with my jealousy among them? Will there be another Phineas? And the truth is there has been, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus cares about God's glory, and he cares more about your holiness than you do. And he cares so much about God's glory and your holiness that he didn't run and he, he didn't pierce someone and strike someone because of their sin. No, he went to a cross and he was pierced for their transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All our sin was laid upon Jesus so that the wrath that we deserve was turned away from us. And it was laid upon Jesus. And Jesus died and he rose again. And he did this not just so that he could save you from all your sins. Praise Jesus that none of our sins are counted against us. But just as much as he deserved the praise because he saved us that we could be holy. Because the holiest people are the happiest people. That Jesus saved us from our sin so that we could be as jealous for God's glory as he is for his glory. And as zealous for holiness as he was zealous for ours when he sent Jesus. So brothers and sisters, I pray this morning that we would hear this truth with joy. This command with joy and also as a promise. You shall be holy for he is holy. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray, oh Lord, that we would hear that call for your people to be holy as a joyful invitation this morning. That Lord, we would rejoice not only that Jesus came and died for all our sins, that we might be forgiven of our sins forever, but Lord, that he came to make us his holy people to make us a people who are zealous for your holiness and jealous with your jealousy for your glory because you're worth it, Lord. Not only because you're worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor, but because, Lord, holiness is where happiness is found. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would turn every single person in here away from our sin, that we would run from our sin, that we would not love our sin anymore, but Lord, we would turn and run to Jesus. And that we would love Jesus. We would cling to Jesus. 
And Lord, that we would want to be holy because he has made us holy. So Lord, help your people be set apart for your glory. Help us be who you saved us to be. And Lord, I pray that in all this, you would help us know that we are in the welcome and the joy of you, our Father, who sent your only Son that we might know joy everlasting. Lord, do this for your glory and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name.